All right, come on in, everybody, and find a seat. We will get started. And we can just watch for a few, about 30 seconds, Anthony and John trying to run to get things set up before we start class. <laughs> well, welcome, everyone. This is our second session of five uh, called Anxious for Nothing. So we're seeing what the Bible says about anxiety, about worry. Before we get into that, let me just remind you of some things that are coming up. The next two Sundays, because of the holiday, we will not have this second hour. So uh, we will not on the 26th, uh, one week from uh, today, yeah, the 26th, uh, day after Christmas, we will have only one service, our worship service, and that will be at 1030. Following week, January 2nd, same thing, uh, just one service, 1030. So no Sunday school uh, for the kids, no, uh, just nursery and toddler, and that's, that's it. Everybody in here for worship those two days. And then we'll resume with our regular schedule on January the, January the 9th. We will start a new series in here after we complete this short series on worry and anxiety on resolving conflict, and we'll start that on January the 30th, January 30th, last Sunday of, of January. In between, that's the, the Sunday schedule. Uh, in between, uh, we have a ladies' event on January the 10th, so Monday, January 10th. So ladies, uh, just mark that down, and it's uh, my favorite thing. You've got to bring some stuff for that. Go online to see what it is you're supposed to, to bring, but that's Monday, uh, January the 10th. We start our midweek program, which is on hiatus now, between semesters. We start that back up on January the 19th, Wednesday, January 19th. So for the next few weeks, it's going to be a bit different because of the holidays, and then in early and into mid-January, we'll get back into our, our regular schedule. As I say, we started last week a series on anxiety and on worry, and I want to remind you that worry is often centered on what might happen. Our worries and the things that consume our minds are often centered not on what's actually happening, but on what might happen. And we're worried about what might happen. So in the words of those great theologians, the, the eagles, see if I can get it right. I'm going down the road trying to loosen my load. I got seven women on my mind. Four that want to own me, two that want to stone me, one says she's a friend of mine. And then later in the song, uh, it says, I'm going down the road trying to loosen my load. I got a world of trouble on my mind. Now, by the way, it wasn't the Eagles who wrote that. I didn't know this until recently, but Jackson Brown wrote that. Uh, so it's really a Jackson Brown song, and then the Eagles made it famous. But here's Jackson Brown, here are the Eagles saying, I got this world of trouble on my mind. And very often, that's where our worries are. They're centered on this just constellation of worries and what might, what might happen. Now, some of those are actual worries, you know, that, that I have right now, but I'm concerned about what might develop out of those. And so that world of trouble idea is not just what I have currently going on, but it's also what might result out of this. What's the concept? What's that, that going to lead to? What's going to happen with me? What's going to happen with my child? What's going to happen with my job? But very often, worry is centered then in the future on what might happen. It's about potential trouble 
rather than real trouble, actual trouble that's going on right now. And Jesus differentiated between those two when he talked about worry at some length in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. And he summarized that teaching on worry by saying, so do not worry about tomorrow. Do not worry about what might happen. He says, do not worry about tomorrow, and then gives the reason for, because tomorrow will worry about itself. That's a way way of saying, the truth is, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. But you're getting yourself in a lather about what might happen tomorrow today, and tomorrow will worry about about itself. Tomorrow's going to work itself out, however that's going to happen. Now, of course, God knows that. And then Jesus ends it by saying, each day has enough trouble of its own. So do you see what he's doing there? He's saying, focus on now. Don't focus on potential trouble. In a fallen world, we've all got trouble. But focus on what you have right now and the responsibilities you have right now. Now, how do we then acquire these things that we worry about? If you live in If you live long enough, you're going to have troubles, you're going to have difficulties, all of us do. But you can acquire more than your fair share if you're somebody like I described last week. And if you weren't with us last week, then I encourage you to, I encourage you, what are you guys doing? Who's Kramer? (laughs) Um, So I encourage you to listen to last week's lesson uh, because I talked about people who are by nature very observant. They just see everything that's going on, and therefore the universe of things for them to worry about is much larger than for those of us who are just happy-go-lucky and oblivious people. So where do you acquire this? Well, one way is just by your, the way you're wired, and you have more things to concern yourself with because you see more things than, than other people do. I mentioned my daughter, who's giving me permission to say so, but... She, is, she fits into that, that category. So where do you acquire it? Well, present trouble and your worries about what may come of that. But hear this. Even as you concern yourself about, if you were to list the top five things that you're concerned about in your life right now, that you're worried about, and you don't know where those are going to go, I grant, But Jesus said you can't give your attention to where it might go because tomorrow will worry about itself. So you concentrate on today. Jesus said that, so confine yourself to today. But even though you don't know what the future holds for those top five things that you've laid out, here's what you do know from God's Word. You know that for the Christian, there is always a beautiful future. For the Christian, there is always a beautiful future. No matter what's happening right now, no matter what happens tomorrow, no matter what happens next week, next month, next year, no matter what happens with all of that, am I right? Does the Bible teach (laughs) that God wins? And if you're attached to God, you win with Him. And there's always this future. And that's why the Bible has so much to say about the future. Because we live in a fallen world and our minds can get trapped by all of the things that could happen and God is reminding us that 
all of the junk, all of the, the mess is all headed toward this blissful existence that you're going to be a part of. For the Christian, there is always this beautiful and preferable future. So where do I acquire it? I can acquire it because I'm maybe wired to be more observant than others rather than just happy-go-lucky. It may be that I've got real present troubles right now, and what I'm doing is I'm extrapolating those forward now. What's going to come of these present things? Jesus says we're not to do that. And remember that whatever does come of the future, your future as a Christian is always a bright one. God says that. But it also comes from exposure, increased exposure that we have today. I mentioned that last week. I'd like to talk some more about that. Increased exposure to things to worry about. You just got more information coming at you, which gives you more stuff for you to fixate on and worry about. So years ago, we started putting children's faces on milk cartons. You guys remember that? I mean, I'm old enough to remember when milk cartons had Milky the Clown, Twin Pines, some of you remember that, right? And there were no children's faces of missing, have you seen me? Now, it's all for good reasons, I understand that, but they started this national campaign to start putting kids' faces on milk cartons. So now breakfast that used to be Captain Crunch and Cheerios and Lucky Charms and all the stuff, and you're just having it, now it has this kid staring back at you, and there's missing kids everywhere. I'm a kid. I could be missing. And you've got moms who are buying the milk in the, in the grocery store, and they're pouring it for their, for their kids, and they're seeing faces all the time on the milk carton. That's more exposure to more stuff that might happen. So somebody wrote a book called Free Range Kids. I recommend it, especially for moms. Free Range Kids. And the author says, this has been really, 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 really overhyped. It's not that kids never disappear. Of course they do. It just like almost never happens that somebody's just snatched out of nowhere. But the amount of attention that we give to it, you would think it's happening all over the place. You think it's happening all the time. And so I've got to worry about my kid. My kid's going to get snatched. And what's going to happen with my kid? So this author became the most hated mom in America because she put her nine-year-old on, um, on the train, like starting in one part of New York and going to another part of New York several hours away with several stops on it. The kid's nine. And it was just for the purpose of showing my child's going to be fine. Uh, the idea that somebody just comes and grabs your kid like that. Could it happen? Yeah. What are the chances? Almost nil. And so gives all kinds of statistics in this book. It's something like you know, 10 million to one opportunity that if your child stood out on the street for like a week on end, that they would actually be taken. Now, what am I saying? Just let your kid run the streets. No, keep an eye on your child, but chill out. You don't have to be, and I'm sorry to pick on you moms, but you don't have to be a helicopter mom. And I, would, and I would say to you, just as some parenting advice, especially for boys, 
confining, caging boys because we're so worried about what they might get into or what might happen to them? Girls and boys are different despite what our culture is telling us. And so I just give you that piece of advice, and it's worth what you paid for it, okay? So let me give you an example of how these things get blown out, and this is how we acquire because we have more exposure to stuff to fill our universe of things to worry about. Um, last summer or the summer before, I can't remember, it's all running together now, but I was going down to Monroe. Kim and I made a habit of going down to Monroe on my day off on Mondays, and we would walk along the river down there. And one day she couldn't go, but I went. So I went down by myself, and there are a bunch of people out on the corner, right in downtown Monroe where the Custer statue is. You guys know where I'm talking about? There's a bunch of people out on the corner, and they've got these signs, and they're, and they're yelling, and, they're pro and, it's, and I'm looking at it, and I roll down my window to see what's, what it's about, and it's save our children. And then I asked some people, hey, what's going on with our children? And it turns out, this person tells me that we've got pedophiles all over the place that are snatching our, our children. I, thought, I mean, my girls are grown at this point, but I'm concerned. Wow, pedophiles everywhere, snatching our children. I did not know this. Well, I, you know, I've looked into this, the save our children thing. And... We live in a day on the internet where you can get something going and you can get people just riled. Did you know that? And they can show up at the Custer statue and they can start going. So here's, um, here's an article just this past week about that thing that started a year or two ago. And the title is a QAnon Con. You guys know what QAnon is? Q, conspiracy theories that are just whacked, completely whacked. This is one of them. And the subtitle is How the Viral Wayfair Sex Trafficking Lie Hurt Real Kids. Wayfair, you guys know what Wayfair is? That's the online like furniture and you can order, right? All right. So here's what it says, an internet mob wanted to rescue a 13-year-old girl. Instead, they terrified her, derailed real trafficking investigations, and incited the Save the, Save the Children movement. The real Samara Duplessis was sprawled across her screen. Something's going on, Kevin Duplessis told his daughter. Within the last 20 minutes, more than a dozen people had called him frantic about whether Samara was okay. Apparently, thousands of people on the internet were talking about the same thing. Samara's name and face were going viral, along with the names and faces of a half dozen other children. One tweet circulating her picture showed a screenshot of an old local news article that said Samara Duplessis was missing. The article was never updated when she was found safe. Beside it was a screenshot of a pillow for sale on Wayfair. The online furniture superstore. Super the pillow was called the Duplessis, this girl's last name. And the price was $9,999. And so somebody else then is, here's an example of somebody else tweeting about that. Y'all, this Wayfair human trafficking thing is crazy. Look at this. There are two pillows 
and shower curtains that are the exact same, but one's $100 and the other's $10,000. The $10,000 one is named the same thing as a black girl missing in Michigan. And so the idea was kids were being trafficked through pillows, cabinets, things like that sold on Wayfair. And the reason you were seeing that these different prices is because the 10,000 one actually had a kid in it. And even was so bold as to name the child after it. And tens of thousands of people believe this. And they take him to the streets. And they got posters. Save our children. The internet is full of lies. It turns out that that whole thing was put together as a, as a hoax. And it was a hoax that obviously worked. To this day, you've still got people who, who do that, though it's, though it's calmed down quite a bit, thankfully. So we've got increased, increased ex- exposure. Now, I'm going to mention some things that have gotten people really riled up over the last couple few years that I've alluded to in the past. And... Don't shoot me, those of you that are packing heat. I'm going to mention some stuff that's been out there politically, not to be political, but to tell you you're letting politics scare you. That's what I'm concerned about. You're letting it scare you. You're letting it worry you. A lot of you were worried several years ago that we were going to have Sharia law. When was the last time you heard about Sharia law? It's been a while now. In fact, you, you, forgot, you forgot you were worried about Sharia law. But let me remind you, you were worried about Sharia law. You were worried more recently about packing the court. Biden is going to pack the Supreme Court. And he's going to put his own people on there. There is, how can I put this as directly as I can? There's not... The devil will be pushing a snowblower. How about that? When they're able to pack the court. Do you know what it takes to pack the court? It takes an act of Congress. Do you know who controls Congress? Pretty much nobody right now. No, really, pretty much. In the House of Representatives, the Democrats have a five-vote, five, out of 435, they've got a five-vote, five-vote majority. That's it. In the Senate, they have a one-vote majority. And not all of the Democrats vote with the Democrats. So it's, it's amazing that anything gets done, thankfully. Because even if they wanted to pack the court, they can't. It would take, it would take a monumental effort and an overwhelming majority to be able to do that. And the people who told you they were going to pack the court, here's the really sad part. They know that. I mean, I don't expect you to revisit your civics class every time you watch the news. But the people who tell you that, they know that that can't happen. They know it's not going to happen. But they know it gets you to come back and watch if they scare you. Court packing ain't happening. You were worried, a lot of you were worried about us becoming a Marxist country after the last election. Socialism wasn't enough to scare us. We had to go to Marxism. Listen, 
Uh, we, they, Congress just had, they, they just left. They just left town this week. They left town and they can't vote on the Build Back Better thing. You know what I'm talking about? $2 trillion worth of all kinds of stuff in it. They couldn't even get a vote on it because of these close majorities. When they come back next year, I don't see how in an election year, a third of the Senate's up for election every two years. Next year, a third of them will be up. All 435 in the House are going to be up for election. I don't see how they're getting this Build Back Better thing done at all. Now, maybe it'll pull a rabbit out of a hat, but I see no, I don't know how it'll happen. And someone just told me right before we started class that one of those 51 Democrats came out today and said, there's no way I'm voting for that. A Democrat's not voting for it. So there goes Marxism and there goes the, you know, the $2 trillion thing that we were all worried about. You were told that the Biden administration was going to give $450,000 to every immigrant family that were detained at the border, separated from here. $450,000 to every one of them. And just this week, the Biden administration made unequivocally clear none of that's happening. And again, they couldn't do that if they wanted to. They don't have the votes. And then this past week, just this past week, and if you want to know about some of this stuff, and I'll get off it here in a minute, but every so often, about once a month, Pastor Larry and I talk about it on our podcast. So watch, listen to the podcast, okay? And yesterday, if you haven't listened to it, we mentioned that uh, the January 6th insurrection committee that's looking into how that got organized, who was involved with it, when our capital was stormed just under a year ago. They're looking, investigating that. So those who are looking into all that have gotten text messages from the former president's chief of staff, people sending him text messages while the riot's going on, while our capital is being stormed. These are text messages live coming in to the chief of staff of the president. And they're coming in from Fox News hosts. Brian Kilmeade, some of you know that name. He's a morning guy. Sean Hannity. Laura Ingram. They're frantically texting the chief of staff to the president, asking him in different words the same thing. Tell him to call it off. Tell him to tell these people to stop rioting. Tell him to tell these people to go home. It took over three hours, over three hours for the president to do that. He has people asking him to do it. He doesn't do it. Three hours, finally does. But here's the big thing. Why did these people think he would have any control over those rioters? Why did, he why did they think these rioters would listen to him? Well, here's why. Because they were his people. They were there promoting him. They were there for him. Now, some of those Fox News hosts who knew that, who knew he could call them off, 
that night, that very night that they're texting saying, hey, tell him to call off the dogs. They go on TV and guess what they say? We're hearing that there were Antifa people doing this. And some of you have heard that. Some of you may have said that. You know, those are really Antifa people doing that. Well, if they were Antifa people, the Fox News people didn't know that. But they went on TV and said so. Because Antifa people are not going to listen to Donald Trump, are they? If they're going into riot and he says, hey, you guys, why don't you stop? Antifa hates Donald Trump. He hates Antifa. They're not going to listen to him. And then after three hours, when he finally did come out and say something, he said this. He said, we love you all. You're very special to us. He didn't mean that for Antifa people, did he? Now, the point is, the point I'm making is simply this. You got people, and the reason I'm dealing with the right-wing people is because that's the people we listen to. The left-wing people lie, too. But I don't care because none of us listen to them. You got people who are willing to go on television and flat out lie in order to get you to come back tomorrow. Knowing earlier in the day this is not Antifa, but then saying it's Antifa later that evening. All right, I'm off of that. Thank you for not shooting. But please, 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 I've tried to pound it home. Please understand that you have got people. We live in a day when people are willing to out and out lie to you. And we got an internet and we've got cable and we've got all of that where people can do that. So here's what worry is. It's an unfounded fear so overwhelming and so overpowering, or anxiety, excuse me. An unfounded fear so overwhelming and so overpowering that it clutches a person's heart, forces the heart to beat faster, produces chills and perspiration, and makes the person to feel completely unable to cope with the moment. At its core, it's an inappropriate response in light of, of the circumstances. And so what we have to do then is we have to learn to make appropriate observations. What I'm dealing with now as we talk about worry and simply dealing with, concerning yourself with your responsibilities in the moment, in the day, rather than worrying about what might happen tomorrow, deal with the actual trouble you have, not the potential trouble. As I deal with all of that, we're dealing with it in a, in a preventative way. I'm trying to help us, all of us, not get into a mindset that habitually concerns itself with things it can't change. That's what I'm trying to do, to prevent that. But if you're already in it, what we're talking about will still help you but I issued this disclaimer last week. As I go through this and I say, Jesus says don't do it, then if you're a conscientious Christian, which I assume all of us to be, if you're a conscientious Christian, then you feel guilty about that. You feel guilty about the fact that you've been thinking in these patterns and you have been living in potential trouble and not just dealing with the actual trouble. And I'm... And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, that's not my intention. My intention is not to pile on. 
If you're the worrying sort, I don't want to add to your worry by making you feel unnecessarily guilty. This is designed to try to help us. Those of us that are not in that, to try to avoid it. Those of us who are in it, to try to get out of it. But don't make it worse by adding unnecessary guilt. In fact, if you do that, if you're somebody who is the worrying sort, and you just take in all kinds of things that you read, that you watch, going on with your kids, going on with your health, all of the potential things that can happen, and you worry about those. If you're of that sort, and now you add to it this unnecessary guilt, you're going to end up actually focusing on you and your guilt, which is, which is actually a huge part of the problem you had to begin with. Focusing on you. As a Christian, where do we want to focus? Or to put it another way, on whom do we want to focus? On the Lord, right? But the more I'm focused on me and what a schlep I am and how awful I am and why can't I ever get anything right and I've displeased the Lord and I've, the more you do that, then the further you descend rather than lifting your face, lifting your head, lifting your countenance toward the Lord. That's what I want to encourage you to do, not to send further into, into the abyss. C.S. Lewis said this, that humility is not thinking less of ourselves. It's thinking of ourselves less. <laughs> it's not thinking less of ourselves. We are what God says we are. We are made in His image. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. If we belong to Christ, we are His children and adopted into His family and justified in all of these great things. All of that's true. So believe that, claim that. Don't think less than that. Don't think less of yourself, but learn to think of yourself less. And if we're not careful, here you are, you're, a, you're, you're the worrying sort, and now you hear me say these things, and now you're even more focused on yourself, which then causes you to descend even, even further. What I want us to do is lift our gaze toward the, toward the Lord. Because if you get your identity right, you can get your problems right. If you get your identity right, you can get your problems right. That's why the Identity Crisis series we did and just finished a few weeks ago is so important. If you get that right, you can get your problems right. And I'm going to use a sister in our church as an example of that, and I know she wouldn't mind because she's very vocal about where the Lord has brought her. But many of you know our sister, Tony Rourke, Rocky and Tony. If you haven't had a chance to hear Tony's testimony, it's, it's really amazing, and it's, it's really a beautiful thing. And Tony went through a period of time years ago as a Christian where she had just devolved into a, a mindset that was at times out of control. And God in His grace and through, frankly, her husband and other brothers and sisters got through to her. And so spouses, I counsel patients because <laughs> Rocky's an example of that, a really good example of that actually. And Tony, instead of, she was able to break out of that introspective approach and to begin to look outward, particularly look outward toward the Lord. And over time, he brought her through that in an amazing way. He can do the same thing for you. 
So what do we need to do then to avoid unbiblical and unproductive worry? The first thing I'm counseling you to do is make accurate observations. Make accurate observations. Remember, a lot of times this is on unfounded stuff. It's on what might happen. So make accurate observations. Many of you remember uh, Sherlock Holmes and Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's legendary detective. And he's one of the most intriguing creations in literary fiction. He's really extraordinary. And he has his famous cohort, Watson, who's quite ordinary. And Watson's often erroneously portrayed as a bumbling fool, but that flies in the face of what Conan Doyle is seeking to do to make the average intelligent reader just relate to Watson. So there's this one exchange between the two of them, Holmes and Watson, and see which character you most closely resemble. So here's Holmes. You see, but you do not observe. The distinction is clear. For example, you have frequently seen the steps which lead up from the hall to this room. Watson says frequently. Holmes says how often? Well, some hundreds of times. Then how many are there? How many? How many? I don't know. Quite so. You have not observed. And yet you have seen, and that's just my point. Now I know that there are 17 steps because I have both seen and observed. Now, which one do you identify? I don't know how many. I don't even know how many steps we have at my house. <laughs> okay. So I can relate to Watson. Most of us probably don't know how many steps we regularly ascend each day, but Holmes is making a point similar to the one that Jesus made in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. In that passage, Jesus directly addressed the topic of worry. He told us what to do about it and why. And like Holmes, Jesus said we need to take a good look around us and observe or think deeply about the meaning behind what we see. So this is what Jesus told us to ponder if we want to be free from worry. So I'm going to read what Jesus said. But just let me summarize what's happening here then. If you want to get out of the worry mindset, then you, we need to develop the ability to observe what's happening in your world and see it accurately. In particular, Jesus is going to make the point, you need to see God in what's happening. So here's what Jesus says in Matthew 6, 25. I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more important than food and the body more than clothes? And then Jesus says this, look at the birds. So, do you just see the birds or do you observe the birds? Look at the birds and then think about those guys. And who made those guys? And who takes care of those guys? So Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are, not, are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And then he goes on, what about clothes? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. 
So again, it's not just seeing, but it's observing because you're, tight, you're going beyond, hey, there's some pretty flowers there, to where those flowers come from. Who made the flowers? Who created the hydrological cycle that takes care of the flowers? They do not labor or spend, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Stop. You of little faith. I'm going to beat on what that means. Those of you that are worry warts, I'm not trying to make it worse for you. I'll hit this and then I'll move on. But when he says, oh, you of little faith, remember what faith means in your Bible. It's the same word for belief. When he says, oh, you of little faith, he's saying you don't believe. And in particular, what is it that we don't believe? We don't believe God's going to take care. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For, because, the pagans run after all of these things. Let me stop there. Jesus gives a reason that you don't do this as his child. You don't worry about what you're going to wear. You don't worry about all of those things because the pagans do that. In other words, when you think that way, you're acting like a pagan, an unbeliever, you of little faith. The pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So the oft-repeated phrase, do not worry, is the theme in Matthew chapter 6 in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And he's issuing a kind of cease and desist order against anxiety based on the sovereign care of a loving and omnipotent God. Now, how does worry express itself? We all have to admit that worry is a common temptation in life. It's a favorite pastime for many. It can occupy our thoughts for a great portion of the day, but it inflicts a severe toll. Far beyond the need to avoid its psychological and physiological effects, though, is the reality that Jesus commands us not to do it. And so Jesus is saying this is something we should not do, and therefore if we love Jesus, then we want to obey his commands. The Christian who worries is really thinking this. God, I know you mean well by what you say, but I'm not sure you can pull it off. Anxiety is blatant distrust of the power and the love of God. In spite of its lack of subtlety, we fall into it so easily and so often. In fact, get this, the word worry comes from an old English term which means to choke or to strangle. And that's appropriate since worry strangles the mind, which is the seed of the emotions. The word even fits the notion of a, of a panic attack. We're not much different from the people to whom Jesus spoke. They worried about what they were going to eat, drink, wear. And if you want to legitimize your worry, what better way than to say, well, after all, I'm not worrying about extravagant things. I'm just worrying about the basics. But even that is forbidden for us because we trust God. 
As you read through the Scriptures, one thing you learn is that God wants His children to be preoccupied with Him, not with the mundane passing things of the world. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2. To free us to do that, God says, don't worry about the basics, I'll take care of that. A basic principle of spiritual life is that we are not earthbound people. Fully trusting in our Heavenly Father dispels anxiety, and the more we know about Him, the more we will trust Him. Have you ever considered this, that many rich people worry about necessities? And that's why they stockpile so much of their resources as a hedge against the future? Many poor people also worry about life's essentials, but they aren't in position to stockpile. It's just as well that they can't because stockpiling basically is an attempt to determine one's own destiny apart from faith and trust in God. And even Christians can make that mistake. We're commanded. I know some of you are thinking, wait a minute, what am I supposed to do? Just throw my money in the air and say God will take care of it? No, we're commanded to be financially responsible for our families in the Bible. Scripture does not imply that having a savings account, investing extra money, or owning insurance shows a lack of trust in God. Such provisions from the Lord are reasonable safeguards for the average person in any complex modern society, but they ought to be balanced with Jesus' command to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and to store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. We're not to lavish on ourselves what God has given us for the accomplishment of His purposes. Wise planning is good, but if after doing all you are able to do, you're still fearful of the future, the Lord says, do not worry. He's promised to provide your needs, and He will. Paul said this in Philippians 4.19, My God will supply all your needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. That is God's concern, not yours. So here's what Jesus says about worry. Matthew 6.25, Do not worry about your life. Eat, drink, wear your body, uh, what you'll eat or drink, or your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, body more than clothes? And the tense in Greek where Jesus says that is properly translated, not just do not worry, but it's stop worrying. The tense in a verse further down is different, where it says don't start worrying. So Jesus is addressing people who are already worrying, and He says stop. And then He's saying to other people who haven't started it, don't get started with it. So He brackets this passage with this meaning. If you're worrying, quit. If you're not worrying, don't start. Now, just one final point, and I'll end for, for today. But when Jesus says, don't worry about your life, the word for life there is the Greek word suke. We get psychology from it. Soul. It has to do with the fullness of, of life. Don't be anxious about this temporal world food, clothing, shelter associated with it. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Focusing on earthly treasures produces earthly affections, blinds our spiritual vision, draws us away from serving God, and that's why God provides what we need. As children of God, we have a single goal, and that's treasure in heaven, a single vision. God's purpose is a single master, and that's God, not money. Therefore, we must not let ourselves become preoccupied with the mundane things of this world. That is what we're going to eat or what we're going to drink, what we're going to wear. Now, much more to say about that, but the first thing for us to do in order to not get started worrying or if we're worriers to stop is to learn to observe. And so look at 
God's world from God-centered, a God-centered perspective. And as you do that, you lift your gaze toward the Lord, now you're taking it off of troubles that he says are mine. I will take care of those. So first thing is to observe, and then we will see how you balance that with taking care of your responsibilities. Not next week, but in three weeks, because the next two Sundays, we just have our worship service at 1030, okay? All right, I'm going to pray. We'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for today and the opportunity to open your word, to be instructed and to be corrected, but also encouraged. And Lord, I need that. Uh, We all need that in order to grow in the Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for not leaving us to grope in darkness, but rather giving us the light and the lamp of your word in order to guide our steps and to guide our lives. And so help us to be people then who are attentive to what you say, desirous of conforming our lives to what you say. Lord, for my brothers and sisters here who may be caught in this issue of habitual worry worry, and thinking in patterns that lead in a downward direction rather than toward you. Lord, I ask your mercy and I ask you to use these instructions to help them even this afternoon and this week to begin thinking in different patterns, to begin observing the world that you have made, even in a fallen world with the the fallenness around it. This is not the pristine paradise that you made for Adam and Eve. It is not the kingdom that we will one day be in. And yet still, we can point to your beautiful character and how you have made provision for all that you have made, even in a fallen world. How much more for the people that are your blood-bought, redeemed people who belong to you? And so help us to think that way. Help us to think about our circumstances in that way, in terms of our identity, in terms of who you are, in your full plan of what you are accomplishing in our lives and in your world. This afternoon, this week, help us to do that. We ask you, Lord, to grant us safety this week. As we celebrate the holiday, help us not to worry. Oh, Lord, the contrary. Help us to train our minds upon what this holiday is. It is God, the eternal God, having come to earth to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. Lord, may that lift our gaze to you this entire week and through this holiday. Bring us back next week, next Lord's Day, special Lord's Day, as we we celebrate the coming of our God to earth. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.